Production. Recorded live. Good evening, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GT5CL Galaxy Talk Radio. I'm your hostess with the most. Hello, somebody. This is Rosalind Jordan Mills, and welcome to Rosalind's Corner. Oh, my goodness. You know, it seems like I've been away forever. Uh, I know we had some great shows that we had uh, pre-recorded, you know, so um, to, you know, fill in there. We had some great times, had so many things going on with T25CL, uh, with myself going out and speaking engagements, seeing engagements, and all that kind of good stuff, but uh, I am back. I am on the roll and ready to go, of course. You know, I, I spend such great things with T25CL. Always got to put my company out there our company out there uh, with T25CL. But, you know, I, 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 I wanted to um, really, you know, implement and bring into even more focus of what T25CL as a company has been really, really working hard on. We have had some great um, breakthroughs. Um, our CEO, Andre Ward and Ricardo Burgess, uh, Chief Information Officer, as well as myself, um, they have been working, I mean, tremendously with uh, the movie. I mean, it's going to be so phenomenal. Yes, it is. You need to go to www.t25cl.com. Go to the UWS, which means United We Stand trailer. Watch this trailer you will be so awe-inspired. You will see the great creativity that has gone and the great tremendous work that has gone into not only just the trailer, but the movie itself. Watch the trailer. I invite you to watch the trailer. I mean, it's so great. But this is what I want to say about T25CL. T25CL, and I'm going to read this to you, Entertainment. We produced a music concert at the Warner Grand Theater in, here in Los Angeles, California. The concert features jazz, R&B, African rhythm, and the performances were very exciting. I mean, so exciting. And it was a unique combination with the combination of African drums and dance combined with jazz, uh, R&B, and yes, there was a little gospel in there. We didn't, didn't mention that part because we always put God first in everything that we do, because he's making it. Our creator is making this happen right now. But our show featured the Bella Fetti dance troupe, hailing from Senegal, West Africa, the melodic voices of, of course, myself, Brenda Lee Ager and Myron Edwards, the greatest guitar player, one of the greatest, Charles Small, the fantastic saxophonist, Mark Allen Felton, Better known as Panther, and a taste of old school with the five tempting men. I mean, there is also a story to the movie. United Nations implemented a plan to eradicate one billion people off the poverty roll in 2015, but of course now it's going up to 2030. And commonly known as Millennium Development Goals, but now it's changed as Sustainable Development Goals. But T25CL was requested to do a performance based on these issues as it perhaps uh, pertains to hunger, uh, health, wellness, women's rights, sustainable energy, and education. And the featured film, uh, featured countries, I'm sorry, were Senegal, Nigeria, Ghana, Ivory Coast, Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Malawi. Okay, we give special recognition to the youth development ambassadors who have worked directly with the issues of their respective cities and their townships. T25CL's global initiative is to utilize the common language of music and entertainment to bring hope to those who are seeking help in so many ways. Often, governments ignore the real people's issues in their countries and sell off their natural resources to major corporations, and the wealth is retained by the ruling elite, and the masses of citizens are ignored. I mean, this is what T25CL's movie is all about. 
It says, let's give peace a chance, justice and equality a chance. Since all else has failed, we got to think about what's going on in this world. So many things are going on in this world, in our nation, and we need to take that into consideration. Um, also, um, we just had a talk from oh, our, our chief is chiming in here. So he just talked to a United Nations consultant, and she loved the trailer. Of course she did. It's a phenomenal trailer. It's phenomenal. It's so awesome. Yes, it is. And we're getting great report, reports from Tanzania, Malawi, New Zealand, Kenya, and Geneva, somebody. Hello. Hello. All right. Well, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we're having, we're having a great time here at my corner, Roswell's Corner. But I, I, look, people, look, go to T25CL, www.T25CL.com. Not only visibly the trailer, but also the music. Support the independent music artists. I cannot stress that enough because there's so much talent out there. And look, if you are an independent artist, filmmaker, author, whatever the case may be, come to T25CL. I mean, we'll put you out there on a global scale, on a global platform. Okay, let's get together. Let's get the work done, okay? All right, so now, tonight I was going to uh, bring on another guest, but she's going to be on uh, um, in the following week, uh, a young lady that we had met uh, uh, maybe a month or so ago who uh, has her own company uh, that she's uh, developing, and she is also from... Um, I think it was Senegal or Nigeria. I'll, I'll get it straight there, y'all. I'll get it straight. But um, the young lady wants to come on to the show and really give, you know, um, uh, uh, and, and, uh, hello, somebody. She wants to give um, uh, an excerpt on her product that she's selling, and she wants everybody to know about it, okay? Um, so her name is Aisha Jewelfire, okay? But... Uh, we just want to give her a shout-out because she definitely wants to come on the show. So we'll have her soon, and she's great. She's so funny. But, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, we're like I said, we're going to have a part two because remember last, my last show when we were talking about health and wellness, and we were talking about renal diseases, renal failure, and everything that an individual goes through when they have this disease. Uh, tonight we have a world-renowned expert who has been in this field for a number of years, and I call her family because she is, and um, she's going to explain to, you know, our listening audience that the impact that it has not only on the individual themselves, but also on family members. She's going to give us a couple of you know, a few case studies, and you know what, if you have family members that's been there, you know, come on and um, just share your story. You don't have to give us all details, but, you know, the world needs to hear your side of the story. But first, what I wanted to do, because a part of uh, being in dialysis is what is called hemodialysis. Well, first, we're going to bring on Alex. Alex, are you there? Uh, yes, I'm here. Awesome, awesome. All right. Uh, you sound a little distant, but uh, but that's okay. That's okay. We can hear you. We can hear you. But what I wanted, to, yeah, I can hear you. Yes, yeah, good. Um, but what I wanted to, I wanted to, you really let the listeners know, read to the listeners, um, because I know there's so many out there who are fighting diabetes. Uh, well, tell us a little bit, uh, uh, um, Alex, of the the diseases that can lead up to renal failure. Okay. Um, well, uh, you know, renal failure, uh, otherwise known as end-stage renal disease, is the end stage of something else, right? So you just don't get kidney failure from nothing. Mm-hmm. So um, most people who end up on um, with renal failure, uh, primary causes and the most common causes are hypertension and diabetes, diabetes being the leading cause. Unfortunately, um, these two particular disease affects our minority communities the most. And um, 
the problem with our communities is that we wait till the last hour to go and seek help. So uh, I guess my presence on this show would be to encourage everyone to uh, have early intervention, take care of themselves uh, so that they won't have to end up uh, progressing to end-stage renal disease. Exactly, exactly. Then what we're going to do, we're going to go into a little deeper in the studies of what are some of those preventative measures that an individual can take to avoid going into end-stage renal disease. Now, and then also what I wanted to talk about is some of the medications um, that um, that are given to an individual because there was a, a study on this product called uh, the, the RIVE, D-E-R-I-V-E study is for people with type 2 diabetes and moderate chronic kidney disease who are unable to control their blood sugar. So the purpose of this study was to learn uh, if an investigative medicine called, uh, don't let me, I don't want to pronounce it because it's a long word, but it is uh, an effective. It's effective in decreasing blood sugar levels, body weight, and blood pressure uh, when it is added to a patient's existing diabetes treatment. So, uh, dipagelia floxin, uh thats kind of uh, the name that is co- coming over. Um, but that's another thing when we talk about the medications. And the med- in the medical world, the pharmaceutical world, and what they are, oh my God, what they are um, getting out of, you know, the, the diseases that these pe- that people, especially people of color, uh, what we're going through. Um, wow. Well, let me back up. Let me back up because what I want to do is I want to take one thing at a time with the, the hemodialysis. It says, while healthy kidneys have several functions in the body, the most common or well-known job is to produce urine. So when the kidney function goes below 10 to 15%, kidneys are no longer able to filter the blood and make urine. So this causes toxins to build up in the body along with excess fluid. That's where you get a lot of uh, uh, what you call water weight gain. Uh, fortunately, we live in a time where there, when there are treatments and medicines that can reproduce or replace the functions of the kidneys and keep the body alive. One type of renal replacement therapy, meaning a treatment that replaces kidney function, is hemodialysis. Hemodialysis is a therapy that filters waste. It removes uh, extra fluid and balances the electrolytes in your body, which is sodium, potassium, bicarbonate, chloride, calcium, magnesium, and phosphate. Now, you wonder, how does, how does this work? How does uh, hemodialysis work, and how is it done? Okay, in hemodialysis, the blood is removed from the body and filtered through a man-made membrane called a dialyzer or, or an artificial kidney, and then the filtered blood is then returned to the body. So the average person has about 10 to 12 a pint of, of blood during the dialysis, one pint, about two cups, is outside the body at one time. So to perform hemodialysis, there needs to be a, an access, okay, to create uh, and to get the blood from the body to the dialyzer and back to the body again. There are three access types for hemodialysis. It's arterial venous, which is AV, fistula, uh, AV graft and central venous catheter. And the AV fistula is the vascular access most recommended by a dialysis community. But however, you know, the, the individual and the doctor will decide uh, which access is best for them. So when a patient goes to uh, hemodialysis, uh, a nurse or technician will check vital signs and get the patient's weight and the weight gain will tell how much excess fluid the, the patient has to have removed during the treatment. Now, um, Alex, I want you to hone in on this part because when they're going through this treatment, 
Um, can you tell us from your from your field of expertise, you know, more so how is this done? Okay. Well, I mean, the um, hemodialysis treatment, the optimal access is the arterial uh, venous um, fistula. Be- uh, why is that the most optimal? Because that's your use of your na- native vein and artery to create an access for hemodialysis. So that's the optimal one. The last option is the catheter because the catheter is a artificial tube in, inserted into your uh, internal jugular vein um, to access your, uh, so that you can have your dialysis treatment and that is really prone for infection. So we we, we try to, if a patient has emergent dialysis, they, they that's usually the first access they get because they've crash landed into the hospital so our focus is always to try to remove that catheter as soon as possible by sending them to a surgeon to create uh, a native fistula or an arterial venous graft, which is a Gore-Tex tube that uh, gets implanted under the skin. That's the second option. So during the treatment, a uh, patient typically has about a four-hour treatment, three to four-hour treatment um, to remove the waste and also uh, the fluids the excess fluids from the body, um, typically runs three times a week on, on this treatment. And it's uh, hemodialysis is the most aggressive form of therapy that we give uh, because we're trying to do what the kidney does in 24-hour period in a three- to four-hour period. You know, so a normal kidney would filter throughout the day and night. We have three to four hours to get this job done. Um, so the patient often feels very tired and worn out at the end of the treatment um, because it's such an aggressive treatment. We have two other types of hemodi- or types of dialysis treatment. The, the most preferred one is peritoneal dialysis, where in this particular therapy, um, the patient peritoneum, the peritoneum of the stomach, a linen, is used as a dialyzer. So there's no dialyzer that's used in this particular type of therapy. And um, that therapy can be done at home. The patient gets trained how to conduct this therapy. The training is about a two- to three-week period. And then the patient goes home and can perform this treatment while they're sleeping. While they're Uh, sleeping? while they're sleeping. So it's a 10 to 12 hour treatment while they while the patient sleeps at night. So they get connected to the machine. The machine does the exchange. The peritoneum acts as the dialyzer that filters the waste um, out of the body into the, um, into the waste receptacle. And then, um, and then that's how that treatment works. So no blood is involved with this one. It's just the, the peritoneum and the solution that we use for dialysis. So that's PD. A lot of people know it as PD. And the third mode is called home hemodialysis, where the patient gets an access, such as a catheter, a fistula, or a graft, and uh, that patient gets trained. It's about a four- to six-week training. It's similar to in-center dialysis, but it's less aggressive and more like a normal kidney function because this particular type of patient will dialyze for two to three hours at home daily for five to six days a week. The machine that they use, that they get trained on, they do this themselves, um, but they also have to have a care partner because this uses blood. Um, It's about the size of a, a small radio that sits on your nightstand. So the patient could watch a couple of television programs, three hours later they're finished with their treatment, but those patients have better outcomes, increased likelihood for kidney transplantation because they're more compliant with their therapy. Uh, Hemodialysis patients, uh, it's harder for them to be compliant with their therapy due to the aggressiveness of that particular type of treatment. So this is more aggressive than uh, hemodialysis is more aggressive. Um, in what instances would this be used, hemodialysis, um, versus the other treatments that you were speaking of? So uh, hemodialysis is, is typically more um, comp- compatible for a person who has 
no support system at home, or a family does not feel comfortable with the with the person um, conducting their treatment at home. Maybe they have a lot of children around. Maybe they have animals uh, that you know they don't have a dedicated area to do this particular treatment. Um, those are the main reasons why. Uh, because you know the funny thing is, in the United States, approximately sixty uh, percent of the population does dialysis in uh, in center. They do hemodialysis, right? Yeah. And if you go to Europe and other countries, 60% of their population does it at home. That's the first modality that they get. Here, hemodialysis is the first modality that's offered. And, and the, the problem with that is that if you start at home with um, home hemodialysis or peritoneal dialysis, you can retain your kidney function for up to one plus years longer than a person who does traditional hemodialysis. Wow! Wow! So what? Wow! That's now that's really fascinating because you're wondering, okay, what is the difference between there and here? Is it because of the family support that is not given here? So many people are so busy with their in a world that they're not taking care of watching over that loved one to make sure that they're getting the, 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 the correct treatment for, for the dialysis? I mean, because here, we, here, we, here we're going over into how this disease affects a family member and how, you know, either they will help support or they're afraid, they're, they're, they're really afraid or leery of, of you know, being a part of this type of treatment? Well, initially, because, you know, it's only been like 30-something years since we've even, this has been a reimbursable um, illness, right, that you can get reimbursed through insurance um, to pay for your treatment. So when this was approved, um, government was, uh, there was a small population of people that were identified as having needing dialysis, right? And mm-hmm. so the government you know, said, yeah, we're going to pay for it. Um, and uh, it wasn't a lot of people, but as time went on and people started living longer, now this therapy, even though it's only a small percentage of the population that has a chronic illness, they take up a lot of the Medicare dollars that uh, the government puts out, right? So now the government is starting to turn to home dialysis as the more um, uh, the the first the first mode of uh, treatment for these people. Europe got it right long time ago because they know that if they train the patient to go home, the patient would tend to be more compliant, less hospitalization, right, which reduces the burden on the system, and they don't have to pay um, all of the money for the workers, the building, the machines, the maintenance, you know, so there's a big cost reduction if someone goes home. So Europe knew that a long time ago, so they started that as the first modality. America is just now learning, especially with all the changes with Medicare and Medi-Cal. Now they're encouraging people to go home. The other thing is the mindset of the doctors. So one instance or some instances that I've experienced is uh, we had a uh, uh, forum with doctors, and we gave them a survey, and, you know, we asked them, out of the three choices for dialysis, which one would be your first choice? And overwhelmingly, the doctors chose home. <laughs> so we asked them, well, if this would be your first choice, why do you not choose this for your patient? Mm. And most doctors answered, educational level, they felt that the patient was not going to be able to be as compliant as um, as as they would if they were in center, but the data did not support it, right? Uh-huh. Um, so uh, doctors now are being incentivized to send patients home. So now that there's an incentive for them to send a patient home, so if they send a patient home, Medicare automatically gives them $500 to send that patient home if they visit the patient one time during training. So that doctor is more apt to go home, send the patient home versus sending them in center. 
Wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. And but another thing, another question that I would even have is <clears throat> as much as America and Europe, you know, there's always that, that crossover. They're trying to see who's, who's developing what or who's, you know, um, inventing what, you know, what are they doing uh, so far as medicine-wise or, and, and how can we, you know, tap into this. I mean, if we are just now, within the 30 years, which is not a long time, why have we not tapped into it before, like in, with the European doctors? What was, what was uh, holding America back from um, not implementing that here? Well, I mean, my, my, op- my opinion is, because I, I can't say that it's a fact, right? Mm-hmm. So my opinion is that, um, you know, there was a, there is an incentive for them to continue uh, making hemodialysis the primary um, mode of treatment that's offered because the patient would, uh, they, you know, companies made money from providing products and, you know, different things, right? So there is, we're, we're in a capitalist society, so the more people you have in a system, the more money you're going to make, right? Mm-hmm. And you think about Europe and those other countries, they, they have more what we call socialized medicine. So there's only a finite amount of resources that they had um, that the government allowed them to have, so they had to do what what the best thing that they could do to keep costs down. So that was the primary motivation for both countries. So one, capitalist society, the more um, products and, and services you provide, the more money you make, right? Socialist society or socialized medicine, uh, the less labor you have, the less cost you have, you you are able to save money, right? Yeah. So those yeah. are the two different motivations. Um, now it's changing. Medicare is changing. Medica- Medicaid is changing. They're becoming uh, next year in 2017, there's going to be what they call capitated costs, right? And um, the government is going to write one check to cover all care for the patients, right? And this mm-hmm. particular disease process, so you have to um, you have to now do the best that you can with the one check that you get, and be able. And then they're going to grade you on <clears throat> the level of care that you provide, and how 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 can one company versus another company do better in keeping that patient out of the hospital. So the focus is turning to quality of care, not quantity of care, which is a good thing. Exactly. And I was reading also, because when we talk about um, the pharmaceutical companies and all that the the, the for-profit, you might say, uh, that you know um, that is in that's being very lucrative in the uh, medical world. Um, it's just that the dialysis payment program, the dialysis payment program, is costly in too many ways. Um, there is an article um, that was written back in November fourth, of nineteen seventy one, by an individual named Ship Blazer. He spoke before the House of Ways and Means Committee offering what was uh, arguable the most powerful testimony presented to Congress uh, in the past 40 years. And he he himself was a a kidney failure patient, uh, and he testified while attached to a dialysis machine, okay? So you can imagine this. So the then vice president of the the National Association of Patients of Hemodialysis told the Congress that the 4,000 patients who needed the treatment could not afford it. He said a growing number of patients faced the choice of either dying or becoming destitute. And he and others who spoke that day warned that more Americans would be allowed to die while when, when hospitals turned them down for dialysis because they couldn't afford the $2,500 a year cost, I mean $25,000 a year cost. Now, let me ask you this, because this is he's, he's using a broad spectrum when he says that he warned more Americans who could not afford uh, the, the cost of that $25,000 a year. 
that could have triple amount when you talk about the people of color. Yeah. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. Because, you know, when you think about us um, as a whole, um, you know, one, we're already economically strangled, right? And a lot of times it's a choice between paying your bills or going to see the doctor. So most often uh, we wait till the last minute to go to the doctor. So by the time we get there, it's not the doctor we're going to. We're going to the emergency room. And what's the average cost of an emergency room visit? Oh, so that's boy. one piece, right? Not mm-hmm. how much it's going to cost for you to be in the hospital because now you've waited till the last minute. You're going to probably end up in ICU because you're uh, fluid overloaded, you're uremic, and then it takes time for them to even get you back stable. And then they have to have a surgeon to put an access in you emergently to get you on dialysis, right? Mm-hmm. Then they have to pay for you to um, get dialysis, not to mention the medications that you're going to need. So it's it's an average person crash landing into dialysis in the first that first encounter. It's about, for one seven-day hospital stay, that's about $50,000 for one patient. Wow. Wow. And that's, and that's um, a lot of our population. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And and to even further, going to further, um, they said that they said that Congress was greatly moved by this man's plea for life. But the following year, the lawmakers added full payment for dialysis to the nation's brand new at that time the Medicare program, covering the cost of treatment and kidney transplant if necessary. So experts agreed that the end stage renal d- disease or the ES. RD program might ultimately serve 10,000 people with kidney failure and would cost Medicare about $135 million, and they expected many of those on dialysis would return to work, paying the taxes that would help in the cost that was involved. Well, they were wrong. Right. Today, the end-stage renal disease program has become a costly, badly supervised program that lines the pockets of providers as growing numbers of terminally ill Americans find themselves prescribed dialysis, sometimes a little avail. And that's, 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 that's madness, because now the, the program costs, it tops $20 billion. So within the four decades, this program has grown to consume about 6% of all Medicare expenditures. Government figures show it. And the cost for the program tops $20 billion each year, caring for 155,000 beneficiaries. It's a costly program. This is a costly disease. And we think about all, we start to think about ourselves, um, people of color. Um, I was listening to um, a well-known speaker. I won't mention his name, but he was talking about all these diseases. We we as African-Americans didn't have all these. We didn't have. We weren't thinking about cancer and all these kind of things. Uh, There's so many diseases I'm thinking that he said. um, And I think about back in the day, I, I don't think Grandma ever knew about those things, you know, and if it did, you know, they still lived long. They had longevity in their lives, you know. Um, but so many things that has been implemented, even when they talk about the vaccines now, um, that are affecting our young black babies, or you know, there's so many things that you're hearing uh, about the the pharmaceutical world and how it's genetically engineering um, um, human beings. Right. And so when you think about what what's going on within, just within the community when you talk about renal disease and what leads up to it. Because we think about our lifestyle, what we eat, how we take care of our bodies, um, what we eat. (laughs) I can't even express that even more, you know, so much um, because it is what we eat. You know, what is that, what you eat, what you are? Um, Right, that's true. Yeah, so... um, when you think about educating 
us as a people, educating us, because we'll, uh, we'll eat that fried chicken and them pork chops and those chillings and them greens and them, you know, uh, all, that, all that good stuff, you know, um, um, not really taken in consideration. I mean, I'll eat greens, but I'm, I look at what I cook them in. I cook them in smoked turkey, you know, uh, don't use pork. I, I, I know that when you, pork it has, has a lot to do with high blood pressure. With salt, right. um, I will eat bacon. I'll take. I will. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, he's like, yo, what? You eat bacon? Uh, that's the only thing I eat. I, I just can't. I don't know something about turkey bacon. I like turkey bacon, but I have a preference. But everybody has their own, so I leave it there. Okay. But <laughs> when you talk about um, all the food you eat, you want to be conscious about how you cook your food, and then the food that you're eating. Um. Let me ask you this. When you have these patients, are they getting specific diets um, when they be? Because, like, I have a, a friend of mine who says, you know, her, her mother is on dialysis three times a week. Like I say, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. She will be walking into the dialysis eating a donut. She'll be walking into dialysis smoking a cigarette. She will be she's so hard headed because some people I, I don't know what is it their mentality or you know are they just frustrated with life or are they just you know taking it for granted I'm gonna die anyway I mean what type of, have you seen these type of cases where people will just yeah. you know they just you know lackadaisical about their dialysis and their, their kidneys and about their bodies well I mean you just just the take us back a little bit, you know, the first show that we did on this topic, I told you that um, we had an interruption in our heritage, right? So we, we were eating what we were supposed to eat as a people for that interruption in our heritage, right? Then we had we were made to eat some food that were kind of refuse, whatever people yes. didn't want, that's what we were made to eat, like yes. chitlins and oxtail and all this other kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it caused a mutation in our genes because if you look back before slavery, we had a good diet. And so when that happened, it caused over the 400-plus years of slavery, we were um, made to eat certain kinds of food that our body wasn't used to. So when your body gets uh, introduced to something strange, it reacts, right? And the reaction was a mutation in our genes. That's why people say now, hundreds of years later, that we have uh, uh, a propensity for diabetes and heart disease. That wasn't something we experienced before that interruption in our heritage. So the deal is done. That's what we have to deal with now. So with um, patients today or people with chronic diseases such as diabetes and hypertension and or if you have a predisposition to it because of family history, mm-hmm. you've got to start early. You've got to be able to, you could still eat the things you like, but you have to prepare them differently. So instead of using those animal fats like, you know, um, lard or <clears throat> some kind of oil like that, you got to choose a more healthy oil, right? Mm-hmm. Instead mm-hmm. of frying your chicken, you gotta you gotta maybe bake it or something like that. And you could indulge and have fried chicken here and there, but um you wanna limit those types of foods in your diet. So early education is key and we need more of those type of places within our communities to teach our people um better choices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when the people come on dialysis, um in most dialysis facilities, uh, uh, if not all they get a list of things. So before you go on dialysis, before you have to have uh, this treatment three times a week, um, you get a, you're get supposed to be in touch with a nutritionist, and that nutritionist um, gives you a diet plan that you should follow because the, the most important thing is your diet before you end up on dialysis because you could delay dialysis for a long time if you follow a good diet, Right? Um, mm-hmm. We say before dialysis, eat lots of protein, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, cut down on the fats in your diet. Eat more vegetables. Um, exercise a little bit more, even if it's just walking or gardening a few times a week. 
Um, when you get on dialysis, we say limit your protein because protein is really hard work on the kidney because the kidneys are already suffering, and then the more protein you add is the more work the kidney has to has to um, uh, I'm sorry, I said it backwards. Before dialysis, limit your proteins. After dialysis, because the kidneys spill a lot of proteins so that it's not functioning right, we want you to eat more protein. So we ask them to eat a lot of meat, um, more vegetables, limit some of the uh, fluids, uh, drink uh, less during the day because your kidneys can excrete that extra fluid. So that's what we ask patients to do. Um, a typical dialysis patient, though, they take about a year before they get used to the idea of being on dialysis. A year is the average that I've seen. So I've had, I had one patient, he was um, 19 years old when he came to us. He got on dialysis as a result of um, juvenile diabetes that led to his kidneys being failed. Young black guy. And when I first saw him, this guy looked like the Goodyear blimp. And we tried to talk to him, and, you know, initially we had the wrong approach. We tried to tell him how to manage his life and his diet. He wasn't hearing none of that, you know. And um, over time, as as we um, gained confidence with him, it took about six months. But the guy told I I asked him one day, I said, well, what's going to make you want to be here? What what makes you want to be here? And he said, you know, he has his little brother that has the same condition as him, and he wants to be an example for for him. And mm. that's how we were able to find out what really motivated that guy and provide him the support, give him education. And that Goodyear blimp that we saw six months before, mm. now today has a kidney transplant and is going to college. Wow, wow, that is so great. Those are the success stories that we want to see more of. Ladies and gentlemen, you're here at TT5CL Galaxy Talk Radio here at Roswell's Corner with our our, uh, expert and and, um, we're going to call you well-renowned expert on renal disease and and stage renal disease, Ms. Alex Sange. And um, just want to give a shout-out for T25CL. Uh, visit our website at www.T25CL, Galaxy Talk Radio for all our radio shows. Monday nights we have none other than Lorenzo Elvis Murphy with Compton Politics. Tuesday nights we have Miss Barbara McGee and Rodney Best with Straight Talk with the Hired Brush. Of course, my show is on Wednesday here at Roswell's Corner. And on Thursday, we have Soul Vibrations with none other than Dr. Nanana Kwaku and Corey Jeffries. Ending the week with our sister Sandra with Keys to the Kingdom. And visit our website at www.t25cl.com and view all the great things. Like I said, go to our trailer. Go to that WS, WS United Weekend trailer, Okay. Go to the United Return trailer, view that trailer, you will be blown away. Trust me, trust me, you will, all right? Um, all right, so what we're going to do, we're going to uh, kind of uh, wrap it up here, um, but I just wanted to go over because it was it was talking here. Um, there was a question here um, that our people have been free for over 160 years. How come we cannot quit that slave diet? Probably because it tastes so good, huh? <laughs> you say, what, the soul food diet? Well, yeah, that's, you might say it's the soul food diet. How come we can't quit the soul food diet or the slave diet? Like the chitlins well, and you know, the hog log and the, you know. We got used to it. You know, it's something that we um, that we wanted to, um, that we got used to eating. And, you know, and then it was passed down generation after generation. And you don't know what you don't know, right? So when if some if your elders didn't teach you how to do things differently, then you're going to just continue that um, tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just have to, you know, try to be more present in our communities, educating each other, um, and and really trying to change the way we do things. You know, kind of go back to that 
traditional diet that was supposed to be for us and 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 give up uh the slave diet that we've been used to all these years and even if we want to keep it cook differently prepare your foods differently uh raw vegetables are actually the best thing for us um try not to if you're going to have cabbage instead of cooking it maybe shred it up and and eat it with some Mm-hmm. Uh, vinegar or something, you know, try to do things differently. But the one thing I wanted to just uh, touch on uh, is the family system with people suffering chronic disease and yes. before we before we um, close out the show. And the support of the family is so key because, you know, when someone gets on a treatment like this, it's life-altering, it's... Um, very stressful, especially if you're the breadwinner of your family. You feel lost, and um, you, you don't know what to do. It's, it's like you're introduced to a whole different world. And if you have that one, even if it's not a family member, that one person that tells you that they're going to stand by you and, and, and is there and is interested and supportive of you, it makes a big difference in someone's life. Um, don't don't baby the patient and 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 have pity on them. Encourage them, make them understand that this is just another stage that they have to go through in life. Unfortunately, but um, they can go back to work. They can still have a normal life. Uh, this is something that is just going to allow them to be here a little bit longer until they can get a kidney transplant or something like this, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they have to be encouraging to those patients because it can be very depressing and life-altering. Yes, and, you know, I think that is with all diseases, when a person is going through, you know, such um, such a hardship in their lives, they need to have that family support. It just, it just, um, it, it, it just does a tremendous harm when there's no support there and the individual feels like they're all alone. Um, and it makes it so hard until they, 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 they give up, you know, they give up. Um, okay, we're, we're getting some questions on the chat board here. And the one person says, I, I just saw a group of black people eat an entire half-cooked hog. Are they crazy or me thinking in an alternative universe? Uh, if there's anything I learned, uh, and my grandma told me when we was coming up, never eat a half-cooked pork. Never, never. That is horrible, right? Well, I mean, you know, every, everybody has their preference, right? If you have to eat pork, eat the very lean part of the pork, right? Don't eat the fatty part, and don't fry it with flour. I mean, I, I'm not a big pork eater. Um, but if I'm going to eat pork, I'll, I'll eat the very lean part. They call that the other white meat, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just got to make better choices. And, um, and and the other thing, too, is I just want to just put a little point on pharmaceuticals, right? Um, we, pharmaceutical companies, remember, they make money, right, by giving us medications. And, you know, I'm a nurse. I um, I work for uh, companies that provide medications to people, but I am also a person that want, that likes to promote um, preventative care versus reactive care, right? So mm-hmm. um, start early, work on your diet, exercise a little bit more, be conscious about, you know, what you put into your body, and and and... And then be wary of medications because a lot of medications that we take is just to keep something at bay. It doesn't cure anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The pharmaceutical industry is a monster. It's yeah. a monster. I was looking on TV uh, just um, a few hours ago, and I'm looking at all these types of low blood pressure uh, I mean, all kind of medications that they're coming out with these names, but it's it's giving you a warning that if you have such and such, it'll hurt you. It is, it has such and such, you know, it'll cause this or cause that or cause, you know, all these kinds of. You have these new medications that's coming out 
that's supposed to be good, yet it's, it can kill you. What the heck? What are they doing? I don't understand it. They're coming out with all these medications, and it just it just seems like they're working against the body. It's working against the system. The pharmaceutical industry is a monster, and it's really, really, um, um, you know, putting out so many different kinds of medications. I'm sure there must be something out there that, that is, um, you know, uh, beneficial for an individual, but there's so many, so many different um, medicines out there that the pharmacies are putting out, seems like daily. You're always learning about something new, some type of new medicine, but but you still have these bad reactions, you know, um, the warnings about not how, why not to use it. Um, For every medicine you have, there's a natural herb out there that um, you could use um, because all of these medicines are just uh, chemical, uh, well, synthetic versions of that natural herb. So my suggestion is if you're someone that that um, has a predisposition for any illnesses based on your family history, is to find a good homeopathic doctor if you can afford it and, um, and, and consult with that person because that homeopathic doctor is going to take more time to understand you as a person and what can work for you versus you going to a traditional doctor, the first thing the doctor is going to do to you is prescribe you a medication because that Mm -hmm. doctor is going to, um, one, put money in the pharmaceutical company's pocket, and then the pharmaceutical company will in turn give that doctor a kickback for Mm -hmm. providing you that medication and getting Mm -hmm. you um, dependent on it. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Uh, We have one last question on the chat. Well, a statement that someone made, it says, I hate to sound like a a fatalist, but as long as cigarettes, cheap whiskey, false worship, and pig feet are being sold in selected zip codes, we must have divine intervention for our survival, however you interpret divinity. Uh yeah okay well yeah exactly but can I can I respond to that yes go ahead well as long as we we have helplessness and hopelessness in our community those things will be attractive to us right so mm-hmm. we got to start giving hope and help to our communities and letting them know that that's and and how do we give help and hope is provide opportunities for people and teach people to live a little bit different because you can't do what you don't know. Exactly. And you know what what, what we need is, I mean, I know there are stores out there. You have your Whole Foods stores. You have, uh, um, oh, what is that other, other store? Um, Sprouts. You have Sprouts. You have, uh, these are different, like, more, like, stores that, sell a lot, a lot of healthy foods, um, we should have more of these type of foods in our neighborhoods. I think they're trying to do it in California because they have, they open those grocery suppliers and Aldi's that sell more reasonable organic yeah, foods. Right, yeah, yeah, Aldi's. Like grow something, even if you got a patio, save some seeds, grow that stuff. And you'll have at least a start, right? Because if I can't afford it, I'm going to try to grow it. Exactly. And I, I love this commercial that's on TV now where this little company, a little company in this humongous giant city, metropolis, they take their own fruits and vegetables that they have grown and they make their, they make their smoothies, make their, 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 their energy, their energy, not energy drink, what you call them, um, health drinks. Make their health drinks from food that they have grown from their own soil, that they have not, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, you know, the different cultivating and showing how to, you know, whatever they, the warm house uh, effects and the things that, you know, they use to make um, fruits and vegetables go faster. These are naturally grown foods. Um, fruits and vegetables that they make and bring it to the table, chop it up, they, they pull it right up out of the ground, so they've got dirt on it, clean it out, wash it out, and put it in into to the blenders and make natural, natural juices. Nothing tastes better, nothing tastes better than a, a, a fruit 
and vegetables that have been that's been grown naturally and out of the ground. Even with this chicken, this new chicken they have out now is no antibiotics. It's pure chicken. Yeah, I say no antibiotic, but what about the, uh, you know, some of that stuff, they growth hormones and stuff, they try to make the chickens, you know, bigger and better, quicker. Um, So it's it's just eating healthier, uh, bringing an awareness to the people because it affects everyone. It affects everyone. Bring awareness to the people and then, you know, showing, you know, what we need to do to curb our diet. There's so many people of us of color that are are really dying. Like I was saying before my last show, um, I saw a gentleman, uh, he he was diabetic um, because I saw the swollen, swollen hands. They were, he had so much fluid on, on his body. He was a very heavy set black gentleman. Um, he couldn't put no shoes on. He was walking in socks because he could not wear shoes because he was so full endemic. He, was, he had so much fluid, so much fluid buildup in his body. And so we, and then to be at a fish market looking for fried fish. So, you know, it's just those things that we need to be aware of because some people reach to the stage where they don't care anymore. And that's sad. That is really, really sad. We need to bring an awareness even more so. I know it's going to take a while. It's been, man, how, how many years? Umpteen years, we're going to say, you know, that we have been eating, you know, what our grandma used to cook, you know, and, and what our mothers would cook for us, you know, and then what we would cook, you know, but bringing more of awareness, like such as yourself, Alex, and bringing an awareness to your patients, the people that you're around, to tell them, hey, you need to eat healthier. Just like with that young boy who went on to, you know, go to college. He's listened to you. We need to have more who listen. You know, hey, you need to be on this earth just a little longer. Don't you want to be on this earth just a little longer? And so we need to just continue and, and to bring these programs uh, to light, to light. So, uh, Alice, I really want to thank you for joining me tonight. This was a one-on-one. Uh, with, uh, you know, some listeners, of course, who were on the chat board. Um, but this is very interesting because if there's one thing that we need to continue to not only bring to light to, you know, people of color, but people, period, you know, eating healthier and bringing an awareness of where we need to be when we talk about our health. Uh, longevity used to be what was used to be 70 years old was the, or maybe even before that. But now, people, there's a man over in one of these foreign nations. Now, I, I don't know how true this is. It said this man is 146 years old. Yeah. How, how, you know, that is beyond me. But, I mean, we've had so many stories of people living 110, 115 years old. I have longevity in my family. The oldest that lived in my family was 106. Um, a lot of my, my, my family members, you know, they passed away. At, uh, they had longevity in their lives. So if you're eating healthier and not doing what's wrong, like, like the, the cheap whiskey and the cigarettes and all that kind of stuff, um, I think we're going to live a little longer. How about you, Alex? <laughs> right. I think so. You know, like I said, I'm going to go back. Uh, to that point, we got to give hope and give help to our community. we got to be like that guy in Compton. He used to be a gang member. You know what he's doing now? He's going around planting gardens in Compton for people. You know, so he, he found his calling. He left the life of being a gang member, and now he's helping people live a better life. So, you know, each one got to teach one. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're not a professional um, you have, if you have some knowledge, share it with anyone that you see. Uh, do what you can in your community, because if we all do one thing, it will cause a ripple effect, and we'll be able to affect all of our people eventually. Exactly, exactly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've been here at T25CL Galaxy Talk Radio here at Gosman's Corner, and I just want to let you know that uh, our next week we're going to have some phenomenal guests, as always. 
and uh, great things are coming up. We will definitely keep you posted with our new venture coming up with our new venue where our artists are going to be performing. And just stay tuned. Everybody stay tuned. Go to www.t25cl.com and visit our website. Go to the news section and you'll see what's going on, okay? So, Alex, thank you for joining me tonight. Love you, my daughter. Love you. And thank um, you for having me. Uh-huh. I said thank you for having me. I always enjoy being on your show. Oh, well, it's always great having you. Always great having you. And we're going to return again because we're going to look at some. And next time we have a show, I would love for you to bring on some of your colleagues because I would love to get some more uh, some more insight. Okay? That okay. would be great. Yes, definitely. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, you've been here at T25CL, Galaxy Talk Radio, and I wish everyone a great good night. Good night, everybody. Good night.